Hi, my name is Ben, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website at publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Now, we don't do this often, but before Cody sneaks off, could we just let public worship know we appreciate them? He's sped up. Uh, Poor Spencer's the victim every time. You know, Cody is our worship pastor. He does a great job of creating a family atmosphere and challenging everyone involved in leading worship to just live and lead with authenticity. And one of the reasons that I mentioned them tonight is because they have a chance this week to live out our public church vision. Part of being a public church is that we use our gifts on and off campus. And this Wednesday night, they're going to be leading worship at a community-wide event called Fields of Faith. Now, earlier I asked if anyone was going to Fields of Faith, and no one was. So has anyone heard of Fields of Faith? I'm going to adjust my question. All right, thank you. I love you guys, the 530. Much better response. So you guys are invited. Um, And and here's the vision for this event. We want to rally as many students, as many adults, as many people as possible on Wednesday night so we can invite them all to embrace the journey of following Jesus. That's what it's about. This night is all about the name of Jesus. It's put on by our local fellowship of Christian athletes, and public worship gets to be a part. So would you guys just join me in praying that Jesus would move in powerful ways and change not only lives but eternities on Wednesday night? Just join me in prayer. Jesus, you are phenomenal. I pray that everything that happens on Wednesday night would be about one name, and that is your name. I pray that you would bring the middle school, the high school students, the adults that need to be there so they can be invited to follow you. Use public worship. Use Robert Green, our local FCA representative, as he plans this, and let all the details fall into place. Use the speaker, Chad, as he brings your word, and just move and literally change lives and eternity. And we'll give you all credit for everything you're doing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in week two of a series called Storytime. What we're doing is we're looking at six stories, and hopefully each week we're going to see how these ancient stories actually intersect with our current lives. That's what we saw last week. And stories are so powerful, and I love them, and I also love stories that inspire us. So I brought a story with me that inspires me. Any fans of the little engine that could? Yes, thank you. That was much better than the Fields of Faith response. Okay, so I feel better already. But here's the thing about this book. This book was given by my mom and dad to my mamaw on her 85th birthday. Now, if you're not from the South, mamaw is southern dialect for grandmother. Okay, so just getting us all on the same page. But it was given to her on her 85th birthday because she really was the little engine that could. She actually worked into her 80s. Like, we had her 80th birthday party, and then we had a retirement party after that. And here's what she did. She was a cafeteria worker and a custodian at Cleveland State. So if you work in either one of those careers, I have tremendous respect for you, and I also just love being around you because I see my mamaw in you and the incredible work that you do. And so she loved her job. And just to give you some insight into her character, um, one day she had some car problems. And she actually lived past Chick-fil-A. Moment of silence because it's Sunday. Mm. And I'll pull myself together. So past Chick-fil-A and uh, the plaza that has results, physical therapy. Have you ever been there? That little plaza. And the condos behind them. And one day she had car problems. She had to get to work. I mean, she's a little engine, little engine that could. So she didn't call my mom. She didn't call any of her other kids. She didn't even call my dad or call me. She just started walking. 
to Cleveland State from past Chick-fil-A. About Cleveland High School, a stranger stopped and said, you want to ride? And she got in a car with a stranger. She's like in her late 70s at this point. My mom and dad found out, and they were ticked. Like, Mamma, what are you doing? Like, just call us. But she had a job to do, and nothing was going to stop her from doing that. And so I have a picture of her when she actually received this. My mom gave it to her. So that was my precious Mamma. And this really was her story for her whole life. And so any time that I think about my mamma working hard into her 80s, anytime I think about the little train that never crossed the mountain, but that pulled the toys and pulled the food over the mountain for the good little boys and girls, and then I think about the mountains in my life, I'm inspired. And my mindset shifts to this. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Because that's the power of a story that inspires us to actually change our actions. So my hope today is that as we look at this ancient story, that we're all inspired. And look, if you don't follow Jesus, this story is for you just as much as it is for any of us who follow Jesus. It's a story for all of us. And my prayer is that we'll all catch a glimpse of how this ancient story and our lives intersect. And in the moment we see that, that we're inspired to make real changes. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, you can either turn or go to Genesis chapter 12. And as you go to Genesis 12, we're going to be looking at the story of a guy named Abraham. We meet him, though. His name is Abram. We'll get to that later, why he has two different names. But we're going to see and discover a story that meets us where we are and yet compels us to move forward. So we'll begin in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So immediately, God invites Abram to follow him, and this invitation gets real, real quick. Because what we see is this escalation of all he has to leave, and it goes very quickly. It escalates, which reveals the huge cost that he's got to pay. So immediately God says, hey, I want you to follow me, and you're going to leave your country. You're going to leave your family. You're going to leave your daddy, and you're going to go to the land that I have shown you. This cost is magnified when you consider that familial ties in this time period are way stronger than ours are today. So as summary, here's what God is asking Abraham to do. Consider everything you've ever known and walk away from it. Consider everything that's familiar, and the only thing you get to take with you is your wife and the people that work for you. That's it. And walk away from it all. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, oh, God, would you please ask me to do this? <laughs> Lord, just I'm here. Speak to me. Tell me to leave my family. I will never come back. I'm done with those people. Like, I will follow you, Jesus. I understand that may be some of your mindsets, but this was so uncommon, it's, it's borderline unheard of that someone would walk away from their family like God is asking Abram to walk away from. So there's this extremely high cost. And just as a side note, God doesn't beat around the bush either. He's just like, follow me, boom, leave everything. And the other issue I have with God's invitation is not just the high cost, but the vague destination. If you look at the verse, it's like, let's go to the land I will show you. Which I got some questions about that. I want to know what land, where's it at, can we get a map, 
At the very least, could I get an address so I can put it in ways? Because the last thing I want to do is be in the middle of a desert and get stuck in camel rush hour. Come on, people. I want some alternate routes. I mean, anybody with me? Anybody want some more direction? Like, maybe even just a direction, God, like north, south, east, or west, or how long is this going to take? Like, this invitation is really, really vague. Not to mention, Abram has to explain this to his wife. Think about this conversation. Um, Hey, babe, God's asked us to leave here. Okay, cool. You know, where are we going? He didn't say. Um... How long is it going to take? I have no idea. What do you know? Uh, Everything you've ever known we're leaving behind. And we're probably never coming home again. That's all I know. He's going to have that conversation with his wife? That does not sound like fun. So God gives this really vague invitation to follow him to this land that that he will show him. But this tells us something about God. Here's what it tells us. That God is a God of the journey. That God loves the travel part of traveling. And I think he's excited as he invites Abram to this vague destination. He knows all that he's going to show Abram along the way. He sees how Abram will grow and change. And I could go on and on, but, but here's the point. God sees tremendous benefits to the journey. Now, this does not mean that God has no idea of the destination. God's not like, let's come on this wandering, aimless journey, and we'll just see where we end up. No, no. God has a very clear picture of the destination, but there's also purpose in the journey. Now, listen to what God says about the destination, verse 2. He describes the destination in this way. I will make of you a great nation. So the first thing he says, here's the destination. You're going to become, Abram, a great nation. Now, the Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is basically the history of the Jewish people. And here's what God did with the Jews. He invited them to be his representatives to all the other nations. So the other nations could look at the Jews to see who God is and what he's like. Well, that whole representing God thing began with Abram. Because he was going to become a great nation. Not only that, it says, and I will bless you and make your name great. So Abram is a patriarch or founding father. In our context, think about, he's like George Washington. So think about it like that. So his name is great. I mean, here we are, the majority of us in the room aren't Jewish, and we're talking about his name. His name was made great. And then the last part of verse 2. So that you will be a blessing. In other words... Abram is going to be a blessing personified. Like people are going to look at him and go, God, will you please bless me just as you have blessed Abram? When you think about what it means to be blessed, they're going to look at his life. This is an incredible destination. It actually gets better in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whom who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God says, look, I got your back. In the journey and the destination, I have your back. And one thing I love about this last statement is that God's mercy is woven all throughout these stories in ways that we can easily overlook. But here's how his mercy is woven in here. That for people who dishonor Abram, what's going to happen? They'll get cursed. But guess what they also get? Blessing. Because it says all the families of the earth. 
all the nations, all the people groups, even those that cursed him, they're also going to get a blessing from Abram. What a display of God's mercy. And what an invitation. I mean, this is an immeasurably more than anything Abram could have ever imagined type destination. But here's the problem. It still lacks details and specifics. And that tells us that God cares about the destination, but he prioritizes the journey. And therein lies attention. Because we've got the God of the journey up here, and then here's where we fit in. We are a destination people. <laughs> Do you see the tension building? The fact is, most of us got way more excited about verses 2 and 3 than verse 1. We're like, great name, great nation, you got my back, everybody's going to be blessed with me, I'm all about that destination. But the whole vague land I will show you, no, no, not about that. We need to understand, God is fired up about the travel and the actual journey, but we're just fired up about the destination and arriving. A lot of times we're like little kids in the back seat with God going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I mean, that is our approach. And, and there are really, I think, three ways that we are destination people. And one of these ways may not fit you perfectly, but I think if you think about these three ways, you'll see that you fall into one or more than one. The first approach that we have to be in destination people is we have what I call the airport approach, which means very little engagement, basically disengagement. We're just sitting in the airport waiting on somebody to call our flight number, and what are we doing the whole time? We don't have anything to do. We're just playing on our phones. We're acting like we're playing on our phones so we can make fun of that person over there and hey, watch them and maybe take pictures and do something. I mean, we're, we're totally disengaged with the destination, with how we're going to get there. The airline people will take care of that. We, we're not doing anything. We're just sitting, distracted, and waiting. That's some of our approach to the journey. I, it'll just work out. I'll just get there somehow. The airport approach. So on the other end of the spectrum from a really total lack of engagement is the I got this approach. And here's what this means. I see the destination, so I will will myself with my grit and determination to make it happen. This is where I personally take this book too far. Because <laughs> I'm like, I think I can, I think I can, I think I will, I think I can. I'm like, let's go. And I just take it too far. Here's what I forget. That as a Jesus follower, the way I get over the mountain is not by my power, but by the no limits power of Jesus inside me. So I think I can because he's in me. I think I can because he's in me. I think I can because he's in me. But often I forget that, and I just try to do it out of my sheer grit and determination. And look, if you don't follow Jesus, you're like, what's wrong with some grit? Well, think about it like this. When we force the issue, it usually doesn't end well. There's nothing wrong with determination. That's good. But we're talking about forcing the issue. If you're an athlete, think in terms of athletics and sports. Or just think in terms of relationships. I mean, how does it go for you when you force the issue? Both in athletics, relationships, or other areas of life. I think we all know it doesn't go very well. Here's how it goes well and begins to flow in a relationship or in a sport. It's when we're doing all we can, but we recognize there's some things that are outside of our control and we just need to let them play out. Or as a Jesus follower, that I am doing my part while trusting God to do his part that I simply cannot do. So sometimes we get the airport approach. Sometimes we get the I got this approach. And then somewhere in the middle, and I think most of us have experienced this third approach in some way, is the when-then approach. 
when this happens, then I will. And in this approach, our action and engagement is dependent upon our location. See, I'm handicapped by my current limitations. I can't take action until I get to the destination. So for us as a church, we are going towards a new building. We are working towards a new building. So it's very easy for us to get in the mindset of when we get the new building, then we will fill in the blank. I was actually having a conversation with Matt Moore who spoke at team night a couple weeks ago. And I said this very thing, hey, when we get in the new building, then we will. And about a day later, he sent me a text, and it was a very creative, great idea, totally not dependent on a building, and it just went, and I was like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I had drifted into this type of approach. For some of you who may want to maybe relocate overseas and do some mission work, I've seen this happen in a lot of people's lives. They have this mindset that when I get to India, then I will tell people about Jesus. When I get to this country or this continent, then I will tell people about Jesus. When I get there, then I will have a consistent Bible study. No, no, you won't. Whatever you do here is exactly what you're going to do there. And so when we take this when I, this when then mindset, we actually sound a lot like Allen Iverson. Some of you sports fans know where I'm going. Allen Iverson was a phenomenal NBA basketball player who did not like to practice. And so in an interview, they called him out for it. And they're like, hey, what about your practice habits? And he like, when, he's like, practice? Are we talking about practice? Like, like no, let's talk about the game where I'm scoring like 40 points a game. Well, why are we talking about practice? And a lot of times that's our mindset. My habits now? Like what I'm doing here? No, no, no. I'm just talking about when I get there. I'm talking about the game. Here's what we're failing to acknowledge if we have that Allen Iverson, that win-then approach, is that the habits we develop in practice will simply be displayed in a game. That's a principle. We can't escape that. Or, to get it outside the sports realm, the habits that we develop here will simply be displayed when we get there. So our problem is, no matter where we land on those approaches, we have a God of the journey who invites us to follow him, yet we are a destination people. So will we embrace the journey? And as a church, we believe this is so important that this is incorporated into our vision statement. Our vision statement says, develop a public church that invites people to do what? To embrace the journey of following Jesus. Because we knew that if we don't make that part of our core identity, we will forget it and we'll gravitate towards the destination. So, so Abram stands in history as someone who embraced the journey. So real quickly, we want to just kind of drop into a few episodes of his life to see how he did that and to see how we can also embrace the journey. So we're going to begin dropping in in chapter 12, verse 4. After this invitation, notice what he does. It says this, so Abram went. He did it. He didn't more instructions. He's like, all right, I am going with you. He went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew that he basically adopted. So when Lot's dad died, Abram said, hey, you come live with me. So he basically adopted him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So, so he does it. He's embracing the journey. And then notice what happens in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham. They've been traveling. And here's what the Lord said. To your offspring I will give this land. In other words, you've not arrived. Your offspring is going to get this. You're never going to get this. But your offspring will. So we're still on the journey. And notice how Abram responds to still being on the journey. It says, so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Here's what Abram does, and here's what we need to do. Worship as we go. If we're going to embrace the journey, 
We have to worship as we go. Worship, in its very simplest form, is this. We respond to who God is and what he has done with our actions and our lives. But too often, as a destination people, are like, all right, God, I'll worship when I get there. But this whole principle and, and what Abram does, it negates the whole when-then approach. He says, no, 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 it's not about worshiping when I get there. We don't wait till later to do what we can do now. God deserves our worship now along the way. So practically, here's what this looks like in our lives. Sometimes in worship, we're like this. Hey, when I get the promotion, then I'll worship. And God says, what if you thank me that you're eligible for the promotion? What if right now, in the journey, you began to worship? Or maybe it's like this. You say, when I get into grad school, when I get accepted into that college, then I will worship. And God says, I gave you some gifts and talents that make you eligible for grad school or college. Why don't you thank me and worship me now? And this applies even when it's painful. So maybe you're in a season, you're like, okay, God, when I have a child, then I will worship you. And what if you said, God, in the midst of this really indescribable pain, I'm going to worship you right now for the fact and just thank you that I've got a husband or I've got a wife that I can try to have children with, that we've got a marriage. I, God, thank you. And it doesn't remove the pain, but I just want to worship you in the heartache. That's what it means to embrace the journey. And the truth is, we just sang about it. The song we sang, This We Know, talks about when the enemy runs. Not that he's already ran. It's saying, hey, I know the enemy is going to run. I know that God is going to win. I can see what he's going to do. We just declared that. The question is, did we mean it? Will we live it? Will we truly be people who like Abram, worship as we go. If you read verse 8 in chapter 12, if you read chapter 13, verse 18, this is a habit. Along the journey, he worships. Will we? Here's the next thing we see he did. He questioned as he went. So the second thing we got to ask is, will we question as we go? Look with me at Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Who doesn't want to hear that from God? Like, I want to have a vision where God's like, I'm your shield. I've got you. Your reward will be great. This is phenomenal news. But notice Abram's response. Honestly, it's, it's pretty pitiful. Because even though God's speaking a great future of his life, the journey at this point is rough. And he says this, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the heir of my house as Eliezer of Damascus. And then he repeats himself. You can see his, his, his struggle. He says, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram's like, all right, God, it's great that you're my shield, and I know my, you're saying my reward's going to be great, but, but right now I'm facing what in his culture was a disaster of being childless. And I've got some questions about it. And notice what God doesn't do. God doesn't go, <clears throat> remember Genesis 12 and shut up. No questions. Just have faith. Don't ask questions and just move on. Put your head down and go. No, no, God doesn't do that. 
God doesn't reprimand him at all for asking the question. In fact, God just reminds him, I think gently, of his future. In verse 4, it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Abram, your very own son shall be your heir. And, then, and look at the kindness of God in this next verse. It says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. He says, look at a picture like this. He says, can you count the stars, Abram? No one's going to be able to count your descendants either. I got you. And this nullifies the airport approach. Because a lot of times we're like, well, I'm not going to ask because it doesn't matter. And, you know, I can't do anything anyway. And so we just disengage from the process and I'll never get there. And we're just sitting through life, just playing on our phones or distracted or really going nowhere. And we're just like, oh, I hope it works out. Just totally disengaged. And God says, no, no, no. Engage. Ask me the questions. Because only God can reinforce by saying, I'm your shield. Your reward will be great. Look at the stars. That's the promise. Only God can remind us like that. Will we give him the chance? If we're going to embrace the journey, we have to ask questions as we go. And then after God affirms him, look, look in verse 6. It says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. I love this because Abram's our, our patriarch. He's our founding father, and he is setting the example that in the midst of our doubts, we can still have faith when we hear from God. But to hear from him, we've got to ask him the question. So will we question as we go? And then the third thing, will we trust as we go? And now we get a bad example, which honestly makes me excited. Because if all we get is perfect little Abram, I'm out. Because I'm not perfect. And I think most of us are out too. So finally, he messes up. And we get to see somebody like us. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, here's what it says. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Still the problem of being childless is laying around. It's still there. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Here's what's going on. This scene comes straight from the I got this playbook. What Sarai does is very normal. If wealthy women in this culture could not have children, they would often have a maid, and their husband would have a child with that maid, and she would become like a surrogate mother. So, so Hagar, this is, uh, excuse me, Sarai, this is super normal. She's like, all right, here's all my resources. I got this with my grit and determination. I'm going to make this happen. Here's a very logical plan. But, 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 sometimes God is asking us to trust him rather than taking things into our own hands. Look at me at verse 3. It says, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, look, They've waited 10 years for a kid. They are over it, over the journey. It says, so Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. The problem is she's forcing the issue, and earlier we said this never works. Men, if we can talk for just a minute, I think we know what's going on here. So suppose that you're married if you're not. If you're married, just think about your life. And suppose you're married and you're the 40, 50, or 60 your wife's about 10 years younger than you because that was the age gap between Abram and Sarai. And your wife says, hey, we've been trying to have kids. We both want to have children. We can't have children. She's like, I got a plan. 
I found this 25-year-old, and I want you just to try to have a child with her. And she'll be like a surrogate mother for me. Men. I know people think we're dumb sometimes. Play out all the scenarios that will happen if you say yes to this offer. Are any of them good? This is bad every time. It doesn't matter how it plays out. If you're like, yeah, I'll sleep with a 25-year-old and have a baby through her. It's not going to end well for you or anyone involved in the situation. This is not a good proposal. So we shouldn't be surprised and read in verse 4, it says, And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she'd conceived, she looked with content on her mistress. We're not shocked. She's like, I'm young, I'm beautiful, and I'm going to have a baby and you're not. Of course she looks with Sarah with pride. I mean, this culture has created this rivalry where you're only valued if you have children. I mean, that's the burden that Sarai was carrying every day that she's not valued and she's cursed because she doesn't have children. And then Hagar gets pregnant and then looks with her on pride. So no wonder Sarah explodes in verse 5. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Guys, there are certain times that we should not tell our wives it was their idea. This is one of those times. Would not be very wise for Abram to go, I've tried it. No, no, he just needs to keep his mouth shut and take it, okay? So she keeps going. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she'd conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And so Abram, I mean, pretty normal response. He goes real passive. Hey, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. That word harshly, it really means oppressed. Which raises the question, will we trust his timing even when it's slower than ours? Because as they adopted the I got this approach and forced the issue, there was relational fallout. Look, we don't have time to go into all the relational fallout. But know that there are conflicts in our modern world that still stem from this decision. And just as a little glimpse, here's what's incredible is that Hagar has it really rough. She gets kicked out. She's all alone. She thinks it's over, and God shows up. And you know what the name that she calls God? She says, you are the God who sees. Because even when we mess up, God seeks us and redeems us. But, but, we got to understand this. Redemption does not mean the removal of consequences. There are still consequences that we're facing in our world today because of this decision. When we force the issue, always relational fallout. So will we trust him as we are going? What I love about this story is as it keeps going, in, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, after the mistake, God speaks to Abram. And he says this, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Check this out. After they blew it, after they messed up, God pursued him and said, you know what? I'm actually going to change your name. I haven't deserted you. You're no longer Abram, which means exalted father. Now you are Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations. And here's what this tells us. We are consumed with where we are going, but God is consumed with who we are becoming. We are so focused on the destination, and God is so focused on who we are becoming. In the midst of this mistake, he changes his identity. He changes Sarah's name, too. 
because he's still got a plan. And he's making sure that we're going to become the men and women that he wants us to be. And if we just kept reading, we're not going to read everything, but it's amazing. 25 years after they were invited to embrace this journey, 25 years have gone by. Abraham is 100, Sarah is 90, and guess what happens? Their son Isaac is born. And if we fast, if we rewind one year, God actually showed up to him and said, hey, in a year, Abraham's 99, Sarah's 90, in a year you're going to have a child. It, you guys should read the Bible. It says Abraham falls on his face laughing. Like he's like, what? There's no, seriously? You got the wrong people. Notice, like, like, I just want to read this to you so you'll know it's actually in the Bible. In chapter 18, verse 11, when Sarah gets told about it, it says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. It is biologically impossible for her to get pregnant. But it says this, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have the pleasure of being a mom? Yeah, like, come on. She's like, this is impossible. And she just laughs, and Abraham laughs. So guess what the word Isaac means? He laughs. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Because God says, look, I got this. Just trust me. And here's the question that we've got to wrestle with that they had to wrestle with. In Genesis 18, 14, we've got to wrestle with this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? In the midst of the journey, we can trust him if we answer this question right, if we believe that there is nothing too hard for him and that even when faced with the impossible, he laughs at it and unleashes his no limits power. So are we going to embrace the journey? Here's what happened because Abraham did. He embraced the journey and God fulfilled all his promises my personal favorite promise, the one that impacts you and me the most, is that every nation will be blessed through Abraham. You know how that worked out? If you go from Isaac and follow his family tree, eventually there's a baby born in Bethlehem, and his name is Jesus, a descendant of Abraham. And through Jesus, all the nations, every people group on the planet is blessed. How is that? Because Jesus came to earth and lived a flawless life. <laughs> flawless. And yet he died for your mistakes, for Abraham's mistakes, for Sarah's mistakes, for Hagar's mistakes, for my mistakes, for all of our mistakes. He died for us because that was the only way that we could be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship with God that we don't deserve, yet we were designed for. And in case there is any doubt about how powerful he was, after a few days of being dead, he conquered death and rose up from the grave. And we are all blessed through Jesus. But see, the thing is, even in the story of Jesus, we see the God of the journey. Because Jesus lived for 30 years before starting his official ministry. And then it took him three years from the start of his ministry to get to the cross. As destination people, here's what we would have done. All right, Jesus shows up on earth. The next day he dies. Salvation for all. Yet God knew that he needed to get the full human experience so he could relate with our weakness. So for 30 years, he just embraced the journey. And then he went public. And then it still took three years to get 
to the destination called the life-changing, history-altering cross. So Abraham embraced the journey. Jesus embraced the journey. Will we embrace the journey? Interesting to understand, if we fail to embrace the journey, we will not be ready for the destination. If we fail to embrace the journey, we will not be ready for the destination. So, will we embrace it? Public worship is going to come up. And we have an opportunity right now to put this into practice. See, they're going to lead us in a couple songs. And the two songs give us an opportunity to right now, in this moment, in the 1130, to begin to worship where we're at as we are going. We can express through the words of these songs that right now, as we go, we will trust Him. So here's the challenge. Would you take a few moments, and before you begin to worship, before you begin to express your trust, would you just question Him? We all have questions about where we're at in the journey and what He's doing and the destination. Would you right now take this step and ask Him at least one of those questions? And then, when you're ready, would you stand and begin to worship and express your trust right now in the middle of the journey? And if you've never surrendered to Jesus, will you surrender to him? You can just say, Jesus, here, <laughs> you did law for me. I want to embrace the journey of following you. And then maybe the next time we have baptisms, it's you that we're celebrating out there. So will we, like Abraham and like Jesus, Embrace the journey. It starts now. So Jesus, help us to do it for these next few moments that we would literally begin to embrace the journey of following you. Thank you that you are a God of the journey. Show us the approach that we take when it comes to being all about the destination and help us to take a tangible step away from that approach in these next few moments as we worship 